You're listening to Leaders in Payments and Fintech, a podcast brought to you by Edgar Dunn & Company, the global payments and fintech consulting firm. Coming to you from the City of London, I'm your host, Martin Kodrish. And in this series, I'm meeting with leaders and practitioners across the industry to find out what it takes to bridge the gap between strategy and execution. My central question is, how can we commercialize and bring the benefits of ever deeper new technology to market in what continues to be a highly regulated industry? If you enjoy these interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. So enough of the intro, let's get straight into today's episode. This week, we meet with Uku Tomikas, CEO of Mesente Communications, a fast-growing business messaging service provider based in Estonia. Mesente helps businesses communicate with their customers securely and at scale without worrying about the complexity of global messaging or the risks of fraud. Its customer base includes banks and insurance companies and other message-heavy industries that need a reliable way of contacting their customers. In our conversation, we discuss why business messaging has become so critical to banks. For example, sending OTPs for payment authentication and secure account login. Oku also expands on how Mesente is at the forefront of fighting fraud by detecting and preventing scam messages which have become a key part of the criminal's toolkit. We discuss a lot besides, so I do hope you enjoy this conversation with Uku from Vicente. Welcome, Uku, to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So, looking forward to our chat today. So, where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Tallinn, Estonia, where our you know, unofficial but kind of official HQ is these days. Right. Perfect. Why don't we kick off with a personal intro, and then we'll dig into your company. Sure. So my name's Uko, I'm the CEO of Mesente Communications. I've been at this company actually for eight years. And for most people listening, what I assume most would find interesting is that I started at this company as an SDR, so a sales development rep, and over the course of eight years, worked myself up from that position to the position of CEO and shareholder in that time. So I was here quite early because the company is 10 years old, and I've seen the development of this company from, you know, uh, a million euros a year in revenue company to this year, 20 million a year company. So mm. I've, I've seen the progression of the development of that. And, you know, 10 year wise, I'm the third person here after the founders of a team of close to 40 now. So the company is also quite lean, but I myself, I tend to describe myself as a, as a grinder. I, I like to say that I'm not the smartest, nor the brightest, nor the most talented, but I will outwork you. And that has <laughs> been kind of the methodology throughout my life. I'm, you know, I hold a law degree, but I'm also a military commander. I'm a lieutenant in the Estonian military, Estonian defense forces. I'm an artillery platoon commander. I used to sell seafood internationally before I got into this business, burned out quite heavily, then took a complete detour, went into telcos. And I'm, I'm this sort of a, a person who thrives by pushing himself quite a lot. I enjoy that. And I kind of like that. I just did a, did a session with a, with a coach of mine and we talked a little bit about, you know, one of the things that people feel sometimes anxious about or something that they feel guilty about, for example, is when they do a 14 hour day. Mm-hmm. And the thing that they're sometimes even guilty about is not the fact that they did a 14 hour day, but they're guilty about the fact that they liked doing a 14 hour day. Right. Um, and you shouldn't actually feel bad about it. It's rather the question of how well then you do then find the balance between doing the 14 hour day and having sufficient recovery after that, mm-hmm. because you can't consistently do that, but it's also fine to thrive under the feeling of, of being depleted. Like you sure. end the day yeah. and you're mentally and physically completely spent. Yeah. I've done my share of all nighters. Yeah. And it's, you get stuff done, right? 
but then you need to balance it out with everything else as well in your life to make sure that you know you don't burn out and don't do stuff like that. So so that's kind of that's kind of who I am. And then you know throughout the time, seeing the business develop alongside me. Yeah, and give me a short introduction to the company, Misente Communications, right? And also make it. I mean, we we spoke and prepared for this podcast back in July, I believe it was, and you, you know you articulated it particularly well how relevant the center communications and what you're doing is to the, the sort of wider financial services industry and payments, et cetera. Perhaps you could just recap. The biggest amount of relevance for financial services stems from the fact that financial services tend to be very communication heavy. They have a lot of very touch points with their customers. And we as a communications provider, more specifically as a business messaging provider, think SMS, were the ones that helped those, you know, invoice reminders, transactional messages, right. OTPs, promotional messages. If you're a bank and somebody makes a purchase abroad in a foreign currency, my bank sends me a text message about what that costs in the local currency, what I'm actually going to be charged for that. And those are the messages we deliver. And most of the time, when you work with financial services, those transactional messages, those touch points are incredibly high touch and very, very important. Yeah. You know, let's say this, you send out a million message marketing campaign and a 1% doesn't get there. You're going to see yeah. damage. But if you're, say, a financial service provider, if you're a logistics company, which is one of my favorite answer, uh, sort of parallels to pull here. Yeah. If you're a logistics company and 1% out of a million messages doesn't get there, that's 10,000 messages, right? Let's say that at, by the end of it, through retrying messages, et cetera, 3,000 people don't pick up their package and you have to reprocess that. One package cost is between 30 to 70 euros per penny on size, et cetera, et cetera. So that's 10,000 times 30 or 3,000 times 30. You're talking tens upon tens of thousands of euros, dollars, pounds, whatever yeah. spent on just that. So what we focus on is we'll get you that one extra percent. And in that sense, you're not going to care whether you pay two cents per message or three cents per message because you're messaging invoice will go from 2K to 3K, but you'll save 15, 20, 30K. That's what we focus on, that type of solutions. And for financial services, that throughout time has evolved into another very key aspect for financial services, which is fraud, fighting against that, fighting scammers, fighting against scam messages, giving companies the feedback on what they need to educate their clients on, what do they need to be careful of, as well as protecting in Estonia, for example, the wholesale market. So a lot of business messages sent from other platforms around the world end up in our pipeline. So we yep. start sifting and filtering out scams that are related to the biggest financial services providers, logistics providers, et cetera, trying to make the channel cleaner and reduce the amount of fraud that goes into the market as well, right. which is very, very rele relevant for financial services, especially. Fantastic kind of intro and overview, but let's just take a tiny step back for the audience. Just to, you know, let's yeah. just very simply explain what Macenta Communications does, right? And then we can get into the, the, I mean, obviously it sounds like it's, it's business, I mean, it's about business messaging, which is becoming business critical and, you know, ensuring that you have a high quality or ability to deliver business messages in a high quality fashion is absolutely crucial now, right? As you described, yeah. perhaps. And then there's this whole topic around fraud management, right? Pretty much we help your business messages get there. Right. Very simple. All over the world, instead of you needing to worry about being a financial service in Estonia, needing to send messages to Poland, instead of going to Polish operators and getting connections, et cetera, et cetera, you get one endpoint, one service, 
and you get global coverage. That's it. Right. Any place, any number, anywhere, any time, you get it sent. That's what we do. Across all, and, and it's SMS, but also other messaging platforms. SMS, WhatsApp, Viber, RCS, so a whole host of other sort of communication business messaging channels that you can yeah. use each with its own pluses and minuses, et cetera. But most of it always focusing on SMS because it is the most ubiquitous of all of them. Yeah. And, and walk me through some, I mean, you know, I've already touched on it. Walk me through some typical use cases. Logistics are very simple. If you've ever gotten a parcel locker notification, courier notification, that's pretty much exactly what we do. Right. But also things like, you know, your dentist reminder, for example, yeah. dentist appointment reminders, doctor appointment reminders. Stuff like if you have a bank transaction and that has a verification OTP behind it, or if you don't pay your invoice, you get a reminder, pay your invoice. All of yeah. those things, every single time you get a text message from a business, those, that's the entire scope of the business use cases we have yeah. from very small local bakeries to large international brands like HSBCs and stuff like that. Right. So absolutely. So, so in that context, you know, we can, you can appreciate how important it is to keep your channel, as you put it, clean, right? From fraud, et cetera. Presumably your customers come to you because they can rely on you, that you've, you've sifted out all that, all that fraud. And we know that uh, particularly that sort of logistics use case, there's so much scamming going on. Let's talk me through about, you know, how important it is and, and what you do to, to, to manage the, the scamming in, in your, in, in, in your space. Even taking a step back, I mean, why it's become such a large issue these right. days is, is because very largely because of COVID. And also AI. So it created kind of a perfect storm. People started shopping a lot more online. Everything went a lot more digital as compared to maybe before. And a result of that was that scam also started transitioning into those models. So more people are used to receiving packages, quite often forgetting what they ordered. They are very often then much more likely to click on whatever notification comes in relating to a package that they ordered. And AI has gotten rid of something that used to be a dead giveaway. So whenever you would get a scam message, it was quite often, and you, you know, you do probably know this from emails as well. It was usually written in either poor English, or if you were from another country, it was always written in a very wonky way. You could see it was Google translated, etc. But now it isn't anymore. The quality of scam has gotten so much better. You know, you get scam messages that are personalized with that person's country, first name, even the URL within the body of text has the person's name on it. Yeah. So it's becoming so much more personalized, which of course drives up conversion for that scam as well. Which what, what, up what AI are we actually referring to? Is this is this this is this AI as a result of ChatGTP or even before? Yeah, I think a big part of that has been ChatGPT. Right. There's a pretty strong correlation between those two. So previously, that's especially related to scam quality, not scam volume. So volume yeah. started yeah. going up with COVID, but quality started going up exponentially with ChatGPT and seeing the variance in, in how skilled people are in writing those things as well compared to what it was before. So, you know, we have the historic knowledge behind that. And then that makes it even more important because when you could previously sift it out by just looking at poor English, yeah. you now have to go down to the level of understanding is the site referenced in the URL within the body of the text a legitimate website or not? So you now have to build in all sorts of safeguards and all sorts of understandings and processes logic just to make sure that the text message you're sending out on the wholesale market or we're sending out or we see isn't a scam message. Mm. So this also means that we work very closely with the banks where 
a piece of fraud comes in, they share it with me. We put it into our filters and sort of try to pay attention and then right. vice versa. Because then when their client calls them, their customer service is already aware that this type of scam is now currently active. So they can also advise their clients better. And then also going to the Estonian police, sharing with them as well. They understand, right. okay, there's another sort of thing coming in. It's pan-Baltic, it's pan-Scandinavian, it's pan-European quite often in terms of how it's done, which is now involving uh, into a source of working with Europol and seeing these sort of patterns and understanding what are the different dynamics behind these things happening. And a large part of it is speed. Quite often, you know, a text message takes seconds to send out. Sending out a 100,000 campaign takes, you know, a few minutes. And then you clicking on it, going to a website, inserting your credit card details and somebody using a script to then pump that credit card out of money takes minutes. So if it takes hours or days to take that website down, if it takes hours for people to notice, then the damage is immense. So yeah. it's always a minutes game. So the most important part of every sort of thing relating to SMS fraud or text messaging fraud or business messaging fraud forever is speed and cooperation between all of the parties to make sure that we lock it down as fast as possible to minimize the damage with, you know, absolute minimal extent. Yeah, I mean, I think business messaging is often the, or is becoming the origin of a lot of financial fraud in general, right? That's where it yep. starts. And, and there's this need to collaborate beyond just the sort of financial services industry with the telco industry and the business messaging industry and really go to the source. The AI piece is absolutely fascinating. I also sense that, that the scammers have become highly automated. Can you, can you, can you expand on that? So the flavor of there's, the level there's of automation of we're dealing with? You're even dealing with a level of automation where the procurement of domains is automated. We can see, you know, a similarly formed, you could obviously see that it's a, a single variation of a singular domain. And we see a campaign coming in, let's say, over a period of two, three days, where north of 3,000 URLs are used all within the similar sort of range of of, of characters or words that are used or what their sort of actual definition is. And you don't generate by process, build the websites and get all of that up manual over 3000 pages. And this is consistently changing. This is consistently varying. And then we also see when test campaigns go out. So not only does a campaign first go out with its full, full sort of bang, but test campaigns are sent out. And then test campaigns come into us from multiple different channels or multiple different service providers. So it's tested in five different places simultaneously, and you don't do that manually. So there's every single piece of this entire process is to one or another extent automated via one or another process from the procurement of websites, the procurement of numbers, to even matching things up, because quite often you will see that the content is personalized. Our CTO actually got a message on his mobile phone with his first name within the context of that text as well. So somebody's using templated scam with data sourcing that gives them both the number and the name of the person that's attached to that phone number as well. So you're doing automated data sourcing, automated processing, automated domain purchases, automated testing, and then automated transmission of those campaigns as well, which takes an organization, not a person. And I suppose that with ChatGTP 4 now being released and the ability to produce deep fake video, presumably yeah. it's equally easy just to, to kind of really ramp up how, how real these messages appear. I mean, we're gonna, it's only gonna, just going to get increasingly more real. I think the scariest thing, the scariest thing that I've discussed previously as well is yeah. you could already do deep fake videos. 
and you yeah. can create fake accounts of people. You can yeah. already mimic their voice to absolute perfection with AI, yeah. right? So think of this situation. You're a parent, you get a Facebook video call or a WhatsApp mm. video call or something like that yeah. from what appears to be your child with a deep fake video saying, you know, they're stressed, they're in trouble, da -da 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 -da. here's an account, send me five grand. I need to get out of this mess. As a parent, think about how hard it would be to then not react yeah, spontaneously. React to heavy, yeah, just, just, you know, just yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, what used to be something far fetched is today technically possible. Yeah. Not even that hard, realistically, because you know access to these tool sets is quite common. All you need is a little bit of technical knowledge and a little bit of ability, and you can actually go through all of this process as well, especially because we already share most of the information about us and the data and even access points to us, like phone numbers, yeah. email, stuff like that. We already share those anyway. Access to mimicking us is already so strong. I mean, going back to Ascente, it sounds like, I mean, are you as a team increasingly looking at this whole fraud piece, right, as part of the service that you offer your customers? I think that if we, you know, compare Macenta to, to some of our, our bigger com competitors as well, think the Twilly is of the world and, and right. Infobips and Sanchez, et cetera, they're very much in the CPaaS, I provide every single channel in the world communication players, multi-billion dollar companies. So trying to build the same thing or going head to head with them doesn't make sense, especially for the, mm. for the ICP clients that are our main sort of areas for financial services. So. As a company, we've very much decided to sort of niche down into the, the area of fraud and fraud management and helping with KYC, messaging just being the, the logical transition point for us from, from messaging to that area of things. So now we're very much looking into what are the next steps in fraud, especially telco fraud related to telco. So voice fraud, video call fraud, stuff like that, that's already associated with the industry that we're in. But instead of becoming a voice player, how about we become someone who helps fight against voice fraud? You don't need both in order to be successful in voice. Uh, well, so you're offering fraud, prevention, fraud prevention services? Yes, that's something that we're looking to start doing a lot more. Fraud prevention, anti-fraud work, KYC, stuff like that. So and that is one of the more interesting areas and, and one of the things that our ICP clients care the most about. Because as you said yourself, text messaging is a more common ingress point for financial services fraud. And financial services fraud itself has increased by quite a lot as well. So that is where a major problem is. And that's where we want to dive into even heavier. And on the expand on the KYC uh, opportunity or, or area that you mentioned, how do you see that so, space? So there's a few other few things you can do there. There are a whole host of different verification services that you can utilize for, for an yeah. care customer. But from yeah. a telecommunications perspective, there's also another interesting field that is currently heavily underutilized, which is subscriber data. So subscriber data is essentially whenever you make uh, a purchase, visit a website, website, whenever you don't pay your bill with your mobile network operator, whenever you do something in your current digital life, your ISP, which is usually a telco, knows about that. So telcos have an immense amount of data about us and about our behaviors, habits, and understanding how those things go. It is a, a legal minefield in terms of what, what they can process, what they can store, what they can do. But more and more operators, especially across Europe, are coming out with certain you know, provisions or certain types of products where they will allow you to ask 
against a set certain set of param parameters that the operator internally checks against whether you should verify or unverify this account. So, mm -hmm. you know, based on do they pay their bills? Is it a real person? Has this person made real phone calls? Does this real person make real texts? Is this a virtual number, a landline, mobile number, et cetera? So you can do a lot of very basic level KYC checks purely through operators without requiring additional services or, or verification services where you need to, you know, show a picture of your document or stuff like that. So you can do a lot of a, yeah, you, yeah. A, you can have the KYC when the account is open, but then an increasing levels of KYC as the account matures and the volume increases, right? And there's a lot to do there from, from the telecommunications perspective and the industry perspective, because the MNOs have a huge amount of data about you. So it's a question of how do you handle that legal area of yeah. what they're allowed to process, what they're not, what they're allowed to verify and check against. But when you do go past that point, then there are very few companies in this world who you share as much data with as a mobile network operator or your ISP. And if you are okay with them checking some of that data and verifying your person against those things, those checks can be done over API. Those checks can be done much more easily, which in return means a better customer experience, a faster customer experience, as well as quick and good KYC for you know, the businesses as well. Tell me a bit more about like the origin of the, the, the scammers, where they located. I mean, you said, you mentioned them being, you know, what, what do you see these, their organizations? So we know they're criminal organizations rather than, or are they potentially also teenagers in their bedroom, right? So the current consensus among yeah. the authorities, especially what we get from, you know, the police authorities that we work with, is that 80% of scam is done by 20% of the organizations. Right. So there is a set number of criminal organizations, most usually located in countries where the, the established authorities care very little about the moans and groans of the countries that get scammed. Mm -hmm. Quite often, the consensus is that usually these organizations are located in Latin America, in Africa, some in Southeast Asia, with its main target points being Europe, North America, Canada, stuff like that. So. Those are the countries that tend to have a higher, you know, higher wages, more money to actually spend, yes. more susceptible to scam and, and getting scammed from those organizations. Mm -hmm. And there are specific countries even where, where those scammers are located. Some African countries, Nigeria is a good example, where organizations have been tracked to. And it's mm -hmm. quite often to then fight against those countries because you can even find out where they're from. But if the authorities of that country have very little interest in doing anything about it, you're completely stuck. There's nothing you can do about it besides just try to block, prevent, do whatever else you can do on your side and firewall instead of actually taking the people who are doing this and, and making them accountable for, for their deeds. Mm. Okay. Tell me a bit more about the background of Percente. So it's an interesting one because we... You know, we like to call ourselves a startup, but realistically, we're not. I mean, even the Estonian government threw us out of the official startups list within the country because we're a 10-year-old company. We haven't had any VC funding. We haven't taken any loans. The company has been profitable since day one and has been profitable for the last 10 years. So we have our own cash, own ability to make investments. Yeah. And when, you know, currently a lot of the big businesses are firing, we're hiring a ton because we have that ability to do without ever going into the rent. And that has put us into a position where 
you know, we've grown steady, but consistently across the 10-year period. And the reason why Mesente even sort of exists or why it happened is that we're a part of a larger ICT group here in Estonia. And Mesente actually worked and the team worked under the group for the first three years and then spun off into its own company. And that's why it was profitable from day one, because it already had a client base, because there already were people using the service. So it was just a platform switch from one to another and from one entity to another. And then throughout time, it has simply evolved and grown. And the portfolio of business we do has become much more multifaceted. The geographical locations, even where we work in, yeah. we used to be very European focused. Now our biggest area in terms of traffic and where we do most amount of our messages sent is Latin America. So it's a consistent transition, but it's a, but it's a logical transition. Yeah, Usually yeah. you take a, let's say you take a business in Estonia, small market, 1.3 million people. When you're doing your business, maybe you send 10,000, 30,000 messages a month. Estonia is a very small market. So you go and expand into the next logical place. You go to some, uh, somewhere like Poland, which is close enough, but is a much bigger market. Mm. You start getting the same traction, same service hits up. So now your clientele is so much bigger that it's going to be 100,000 messages a month instead of like 10, 30,000 that it was in Estonia. You're there, you decide, okay, let's take the next step and go to Spain, for example. You go to Spain, your 100,000 a month turns into 300,000 a month in terms of transactions, messages, people, etc. And you're already in Spain, so why not go into Mexico? So now mm. you go into Mexico well, and, you're 400, and the 400K becomes 2 million. Right. And that's why automatically, simply the expansion and growth of the companies that we partner with and, and have been partnering for the better part of 10 years, their growth automatically meant our growth. So that's how follow, this transition Follow your customer that. type approach. Exactly. But also, so I also get the sense that you're sort of highly adaptive as an organization. You constantly, I mean, obviously, the, you know, what are the challenges that you're facing and, and, and you're, are you adapting because of the challenges, because of the changing, evolving marketplace or... Or to what extent is it just part of, you know, how you go about your business? I mean, is it a reactive or proactive approach, the adaption? And what, what advice would you give more generally to, to tech companies, fintech companies and how to I think adapt to the market? I think there's both. I mean, we could just keep on doing business messaging mm. and just getting more clients and doing the stuff that we do reasonably well, easily for the next five to 10 years as well. Because most of the traffic isn't really going anywhere. But the question is, do we want to thrive and do we be want to become a bigger company with a lot more impact? And that's why we niche down, go into the areas where we see a much bigger potential growth as compared to staying in a saturated market here in Europe, competing against some of the heavyweights of the industry for the same pool of messages. That doesn't make sense. Plus, you have to take into consideration that into um, sort of the authentication or, or account verification space or the two-factor authentication space, Passkey has become a very, very big part of it. And I realistically see that within the next three to five years, it'll cannibalize the business messaging side of that one-time password area. It'll take a large chunk of it, which means that if you're not future-proofed against that, and if you don't have a varied portfolio, you're going to lose a large chunk of your business potentially, which means that you have to be ready for that. So that's one of the challenges that we need to tackle as well. The way we go about it is trying to balance your immediate challenges of growing as a company, building an understandable brand and being for somebody specifically rather than trying to be for everybody while simultaneously dealing with sort of the long-term idea, the long-term vision, where we'll be in five years, what challenges are we seeing potentially in the next five years and how do we manage those things? 
how do we go from being a business messaging company to an anti-fraud company? Is it necessary or not? And, you know, what do we deal with passkeys and things like that? The, the hard thing about an established company is that it works and it's profitable. So why would you change it? Of course. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. So what, once you're profitable, then, then changing things becomes quite difficult, right? I mean, it becomes that you don't want to shake the, the rock the boat, but then you are, uh, I mean, you know, I think we're all going to be in one way, we're all facing a, the need to adapt to, to yeah. an ever evolving market. And I personally think with the AI scenario, the next five years, is just going to be an incredible level of adaption needed, you know, as, as we, as we progress with AI. And what, I mean, and, and obviously it's highly relevant that we've already discussed this with in the, in the area of fraud management, right? AI and you know, what are your views on how things might develop in your space and particularly with reference to, to AI and what you're seeing and how that might impact? I think realistically it's, it's going to get worse at least for a while, at least mm. for the time being, when we try to figure out where AI actually places and, and what are the safeguards we can build for ourselves to protect against fraud and things like that. But I think AI will also have a very positive effect, especially in the utilization of different communication channels. As a tool, it enables you to share more content, to do more research, to write better copy uh, for mm -hmm. a lot of companies. And it, it enhances your ability to communicate with your customers. And when you combine effective communication tools like business messaging and combine them with AI and create more better trigger points, you know, better information for your clients, guide them through things, you know, be at the top of their mind, even with things like abandoned cart notifications, for example, mm. then, you know, you will have a much better customer experience. So it, I, I think there'll be a, there will be a big positive impact on the industry and it will also have a negative impact on the industry. And it's a question of which will be bigger sure. and no, then how we'll manage that as an industry as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose particularly in South America or what have you, I suppose this regulations, you know, we uh, only last week had the AI safety summit in the UK and there's a, an attempt for, for governments to regulate model testing and have those models be tested by government institutions. You know, I think that's what a direction that I feel we're going, but that only really works for large tech companies who are willing to play along and participate in, in that regulation. But you know, so AI models that are becoming more and more available to anybody, right? You know, you can imagine a situation where some kind of organized crime group, you know, will develop an AI and not necessarily participate in the regulatory testing process. And, and, and then we kind of start losing control of that whole AI evolution. I mean, and, and I, I, I was wondering just if, if you're, you know, you're, you're, it's like an early indicator of what things are might, might, how things might develop what, from what you're seeing this year compared to last year, pre chat GTP. I mean, perhaps you can just recap on, you know, how things have changed as a result of the introduction of chat GTP and others. I guess the, the big difference is the speed and adaption that is required to fight against something like fraud, mm. you know, looking at it from a fraud perspective, because the, the quality of being consistent is one thing, but the ability to change your patterns on a consistent basis, right. that's the thing that's sort of probably the scariest. And one of the things that we're now seeing is that the understanding of cultural trigger, trigger points right. is something that didn't exist before. So oh, wow. you, you know, Good. there are tax returns in Estonia done in February 
the process is initiated in February and then the, the payouts are done in March. You will have campaigns related to Estonia scam on those two trigger points on February and March. Mm. And then in, let's say in Latvia, it's in April and June. And in Latvia, it's done in April and June. The handwriting is exactly the same. The formation is exactly the same, but somehow they've taken into consideration the cultural yeah. differences between those specific trigger points and utilize those to, to the best possible effect. You know, it's going to be able to learn, you know, those cultural differences and it has access to all the information quite easily. It can ingest it and just learn from it and just improve over time. And, you know, it's, yep. it's but, uh, okay. We don't want to be too scaremongering. Like you say, yeah, it's off, off, offset with all the opportunities or the yeah. positive opportunities that AI presents. And I totally agree with you there. But I personally think it's going to be a, a fascinating next five, 10 years to witness yeah, sure. AI play out, you know? And yeah, absolutely. Look, okay, we're kind of starting to run out, a bit out of time. It'd be great speaking to you, but just to wrap up, what's next for Macente? I mean, where do you, where, what's, you know, again, what are your plans going forward? Where, what, how do you see the company? shaping in the next couple of years? A big amount of our time, especially right now and, and looking forward as well, we'll go into research and developing the KYC and anti-fraud anti portfolio of our business, providing right. more value for the ICP clients that we have, the financial services, payment companies, big banks that we work with, and doubling down on becoming the player you go to for not just sending your messages, but the business critical ones where you really, really need to make sure that a, it's a clean channel, it's a good channel, it gets there and you don't right. get defrauded on the way. Focusing very heavily on that problem side of things, that problem solution side of things will be something we'll be doubling down on in the next couple of years. But otherwise, doing business simultaneously in the way we've always done, being very transparent, very open about it, very customer-centric. And those are buzzwords that keep on being thrown around. Yeah. But if you can keep a client for 10 years throughout their entire growth phase from going to a hundred euros on your service to spending a hundred thousand euros on your service, which we yeah. have. Yeah. If you can be the provider for them that entire time, that's what being transparent and high in customer service means because then the costs, the products, everything else, everything else you can't be beaten on, yeah. but you can't be beaten on the relationship you build. That's what we're good at. That's what we will keep on doubling down on going forward as well. Right. Fantastic. What, what's the best way for the, the audience to reach out to you? Cool. How do e they, yeah. Easiest way to find is our website, mesenta.com, or right. best way to reach out to me is on LinkedIn. If you have any questions, if you want to do something, just find me there. I'm very active. I post every day. I just share intel about, you know, business messaging, but also how we do as a business, what we, how we lead, how we manage, et cetera, et cetera. So. If you're ever interested in those things, just find me on LinkedIn and hit me up. Perfect. Well, I'll put the, that information in the show notes. And for now, thank you very much. And I'll speak to you again soon. Thank you very much. Have a great one. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. To hear more interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. It helps and means a lot. Also, I welcome any questions, ideas, or suggestions. So feel free to make contact and say hello. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or at edgardunn.com. You can send me a message there. Or you can email me on martin.coderish at edgardunn.com. I look forward to hearing from you and I will see you next time.